It was a warm summer evening in Los Angeles on August 16, 1933. Beloved schoolteacher Cora Withington and newspaper publisher Crombie Allen were stopped at a traffic light at 3rd Street and Lafayette Park Place in Westlake. They had just seen the new movie Tugboat Annie, starring Marie Dressler and Wallace Berry. Cora was learning to drive, so Crombie let her take the wheel of his new Chevrolet coupe. Suddenly, a young man in a Gram 8 sedan jumped out, waving a gun in the couple's direction. Shell out, sweetheart, he sneered. And that goes for you, too, Bo. Crombie quickly handed over what he had, $18 and a watch. Cora was fumbling with her purse, which had caught on a string on her skirt. The first thing I knew, Crombie recalled, there was an explosion and I felt a sting in my neck. What he felt was a bullet, which had grazed his neck before entering Cora's eye. As blood poured out of his companion's face, she would be blinded for life. Crombie watched the sedan speed away. In the driver's seat was a platinum blonde girl wearing a brown turban. She was laughing. I'm Hadley Mears, and this is Underbelly LA. Twenty-eight-year-old Thomas White was a bad guy. He was already a career felon with a long history of prison stints in both Colorado and California when he met Burma Arlene Adams in June of 1933, only two months after being paroled from jail. Burma was a pretty 19-year-old hairdresser from Santa Ana who was living with a friend in L.A. By all accounts, she was a good girl, nice, smart, hardworking, and charming. However, according to her parents, she had suffered a traumatic head injury as a teenager, which may or may not account for her subsequent behavior. The two met at Sebastian's Cotton Club in Culver City, one of the most popular jazz clubs in L.A. The rest, as they say, is true crime history. As Burma would later recall, when the orchestra struck up that dreamy melody, ah, but is it love, and I found myself gliding among all these bewitching lights and shadows in the arms of Tom White. Some strange new feeling stirred in my heart, something that I'd never felt before. In a matter of days, Tom allegedly introduced Burma to another new feeling, cocaine, drugged her drinks, and initiated her into his life of crime. Burma's friends and family reported a complete change in character after she met the abusive Tom, who claimed to her family that he was a stockbroker, not a career criminal. During the hot, desperate summer of 1933, the couple would commit over 20 felonies in the Los Angeles area, stealing cars, robbing gas stations, and taking hostages. As the couple committed robbery after robbery, the smiling peroxide blonde became a boogeywoman in Southern California. 
Together, the duo were dubbed L.A.'s very own Bonnie and Clyde, who were in the midst of their legendary crime spree when Burma and Tom came onto the scene. Mercifully, none of the victims were killed, though this was cold comfort to L.A. residents. This was a car town, and the fact that you had somebody out there that could at any moment leap out and shoot you, the terror was no less palpable than if it were bank robbers. It was actually worse. That's what historian Julia Bricklin explained to me in a 2019 interview. She is the author of the definitive blonde rattlesnake, Burma Adams, Tom White, and the 1933 crime spree that terrorized Los Angeles. Though Tom was obviously the ringleader, it was Burma who made a lasting impression on the victims. In almost every instance, the victim or victims were distracted either by the woman's striking appearance or by her seeming indifference to the crime, or both, Bricklin writes in Blonde Rattlesnake. For example, as his robbers drove away, robbery victim Joe Robinson took a good long look at the blonde woman driving the car. He was certain that, based on the descriptions in the newspapers and radio, she was the accomplice who had laughed as her beau pulled the trigger on the schoolteacher and her publisher friend. She laughed at Robinson, too. Around two weeks after the near-fatal shooting of Cora Withington and newspaper publisher Crombie Allen, the bandit and his smiling blonde Moll were married at her parents' home in Santa Ana, which the paper called, quote, one of the prettiest early fall wedding ceremonies, unquote. The respectable guests had no idea that the new bride and groom were responsible for the crime spree terrorizing Los Angeles, although many guests did harbor suspicions that Burma was being abused by her new husband. There were consistent reports of bruising on her body, including several spied by her father on her wedding day. There was quite a lump on her forehead, he later told the court during Burma's trial. And there were several bruises on her arm, and I noticed a bruise up here around the chest. Just how many I don't remember, but there were several of them, and they were not very small either. There would be no honeymoon for these two fresh-faced newlyweds. The LAPD had been frantically searching for the man nicknamed by the press the Rattlesnake Bandit and his girl, Maul. Only six days after the wedding, on September 6th, undercover LAPD members dressed as mechanics spied Burma driving a stolen car to the Casa del Monte apartments at 236 Coronado Street. Police soon entered the building, speaking with Burma before confronting Tom in the hallway. Their confrontation was brief. As soon as they announced they were cops, Tom started shooting. Officers opened fire. And soon Tom was dead. Unluckily for Burma, the media had a front row view of the action. According to Julia Bricklin, quote, the LAPD had an understanding with the Times and the Examiner that they would call before they raided a particular scene or went to the scene of a crime. It was perfectly acceptable for photographers and reporters to come along as they did during the raid, unquote. These reporters and photographers documented the new widow's every move. 
Her odd, cold indifference to her dead husband was noted from the start, when Burma stepped over Tom's dead body with no emotion at all. Photos were snapped of her at the crime scene and at the morgue. As it was reported in the William Randolph Hearst-owned Herald Examiner, she haughtily walked into the morgue and posed with icy indifference. Then, like an actress going into a sob scene, she managed to sniffle a bit. The photogenic Burma had been captured at a vice-obsessed time. The Depression had made heroes out of gangsters like Bonnie and Clyde and Pretty Boy Floyd, and crime was surging throughout America and Southern California. Writers and government officials were obsessed with the psyche of criminals, and good girl Burma presented a particularly interesting case. I do not believe prison means anything to her but another thrill, wrote Sheriff's Deputy Nettie J. Yaw, who also conjectured that criminals like Burma, who had a, quote, sublime ego that absolutely obliterates any thoughts of the rights of others, the consequence of acts, Pleasures, pain, new drinks, new romances, new adventures make up their lives. Awaiting trial in the Los Angeles County Jail, Burma found herself constantly hounded by the eager news media. During the height of the Great Depression, Sob Sisters, female columnist, and of course, Hollywood columnist, became all the rage, Bricklin explained. So people are looking for escapism and also a new way to fill newspapers because syndicated newspaper groups were exploding at the time. So female reporters like Agnes Aggie Underwood and Luella Parsons and a few others saw themselves as the arbiters of news with these female convicts. Who better to get the real scoop than another woman? A dissembling Burma spoke to both these ace reporters, tough-as-nails Aggie and the cunningly cozy Luella, giving each her constantly changing version of events. My mother came to see me today, she told the unusually sympathetic Parsons. She said that I am more normal than she has seen me in months. I'm not a bad girl. I was so terrified that I did exactly as he told me to do. That's why I'm here in jail. However, most of the media was not so sympathetic to the photogenic girl bandit, who now bore the brunt of her and Tom's crimes. A more typical portrayal was found in the September 8th edition of The Examiner. With a sneering smile on her face, 19-year-old Burma Adams White, icy blonde bride of the slain rattlesnake bandit, is pictured as she appeared in the glaring spotlight of the police shadow box last night for identification by the bandit's victims. As Bricklin told me, I think she liked the media attention at first. And then she very quickly realized that the media is very fickle and wasn't necessarily going to report her in a glamorous or a sympathetic light. But I think a lot of that, too, is all of a sudden you have light bulbs going off in your face and people asking questions, and you're raised as a good girl to just answer truthfully. She had no attorney holding her hand to answer any of these questions. Burma went on trial in the fall of 1933, It was a sensation in the press, and trumped up by authorities eager to make an example of the scandalous teen. As Bricklin told me, By the time Burma came around in 1933, we had the chief of the LAPD, James Two-Gun Davis. Judge Fletcher Balron, he had his eye on future office. Certainly, District Attorney Byrne Fitz had his eye on the governorship. And the fact that she was young, female, pretty, 
and seemingly had no reason to commit these crimes, it was a perfect storm. She really fell into this nexus of resume building for all of these folks in Los Angeles, trying to show they were as tough on crime and youthful crime and female crime as Chicago and New York and so on. Eager to clear his docket, Judge Bowron rushed through Burma's trial, forcing an unprepared lawyer to represent her. Witnesses and victims were crammed together in the courtroom, watching each other's testimony. Burma White was eventually convicted of six counts of robbery, three counts of assault with an intent to commit murder, and one count of attempted robbery. Sentencing the teen to 30 years to life, Judge Bowron stated his reasons plainly. It is not a pleasant duty to send a young person, and particularly a young woman, to the penitentiary. As an individual, I have nothing but heartfelt sympathy and pity for this young woman, who is about to be branded a convict. But as a judge, my duty is plain. Burma White, the penalty I'm about to impose is not a retribution, but it is hoped that your case will serve as an object lesson to others. Tom and Burma's crime spree would profoundly change laws in Los Angeles. Because Tom had been an unregistered convicted felon in L.A., laws were changed to require all those who had been convicted of felonies in the last 10 years to register with the Sheriff's Department, a precursor to the current criminal database. This law came too late to save Burma from the clutches of Tom White. On December 6, 1933, only six months after meeting her deceased husband, Burma boarded a train to begin serving her sentence at the Tehachapi Women's Prison in Kern County, California. Luckily for Burma, the newly opened prison focused on reform and rehabilitation instead of deprivation and punishment. She did really well there. She really tried, Brickland told me. She was always a model prisoner. The beginning, I think, was hard for her, I don't think she really understood that she was in prison. It had to be a shock to go from a trial one day and then the next day to be in prison, and everything that happened to her happened within a three-month period of time, including the crimes. As Burma lived out her 20s in Tehachapi, resuming work as a hairstylist, her infamy as the laughing blonde rattlesnake lived on. In 1933, the inaugural episode of the LAPD-backed radio program Calling All Cars aired the Burma White story, narrated by none other than Chief Davis himself. Calling All Cars, a copyrighted program transcribed and dedicated to the prevention of crime. This series of crimes in which Burma White participated would never have entered a career of crime had the parole system been stringent enough to prevent desperadoes from having their freedom. It is my sincere hope that you, the citizens, will demand a proper parole system so that you and yours will not be in constant danger from the ruthless viciousness of men of the stripe of Tom White. 
Burma was released on December 1, 1941. The media had bigger things, including World War II, to worry about. She quietly moved to San Francisco, where she became the invaluable office manager of the flamboyant developer, lawyer, and investor Edmund Hersher. She also married again, becoming the wife of a structural engineer named Alfred Diamond. The Diamonds eventually moved to Washington State. During the 1950s, Burma tried desperately to get a pardon from the state of California, but to no avail. I think she wanted a little bit of restorative justice, Brooklyn told me. I think she wanted to show that, look, I did my time. I'm rehabilitated. I've been working for the most part, and damn it, I should be able to be a full-fledged citizen. Perhaps it was memories of that fateful summer, but it does appear Burma eventually succumbed to alcoholism. She died of complications from the disease in 1962, leaving behind a mystery and the echoes of her mean-spirited laughter. What were her motives that crazy summer? Was it the head injury, the abuse, the drugs? Or all or none of the above? When I started, I thought I was going to find a girl who was probably an orphan, probably starving, and was just a really bad egg, coupled with the fact that she was potentially desperate because of finances during the Depression, Brooklyn told me. What I found was she was the opposite. She grew up in a stable home, and one that was, relatively speaking, doing okay with the worst effects of the Depression. You know, her parents were very stalwart, but they loved her. So she was not at all what I expected. I thought I would have an aha moment that showed me why she became bad. It's a very uncomfortable feeling because, of course, you want to put people in categories, right? And point to that one pivotal moment. But I did not find it. I feel that perhaps she was just a little bit of a bad girl. Maybe she was just a little bit of a bad girl. Well, what better place to let your shady side shine than in the wilds of LA's urban jungle? Burma White briefly got her place in the spotlight, but for all the wrong reasons. This episode is based on an article I wrote that originally appeared in LA Magazine. You can find a link to the article on our website. In addition to some fun photos of Burma in case you're curious to see what the blonde rattlesnake looked like back in the day. I'm Hadley Mears, and you can follow me on Twitter at H-A-D-L-E-Y-M-E-A-R-E-S. You can follow Underbelly LA at Underbelly LA. We're also on Facebook, just search Underbelly LA. Listen to all future episodes of this podcast by going to underbellyla.com and you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and anywhere else you'd normally find a podcast. Every episode of this show is researched, written, and read by me, Adley Mears. The show is produced by Drew Mackey and edited by Mika Grimm. Underbelly LA is a Table Cakes podcast. Table Cakes is a Los Angeles-based, woman-owned podcast company. And if you want to learn about other shows on this network, go to tablecakes.com. If you want to support Underbelly LA, check out our digital tip jar at patreon.com slash underbellyla. Stay tuned when we delve into more murder, mayhem, 
shade and sunshine in the city of angels. Table Cakes Production.